0: This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. Hi, I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author, fanatical prospecting, objections, sales EQ, and inked, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. With me today is Will Yarbrough, who is head of sales for a company called Fleetio, and we're gonna be talking about what it means to be human and be a seller in modern day society. It's gonna be a fantastic conversation and you're gonna be hearing from someone who is in the trenches every day, getting it done. Before we get started, I want you to go check out Sales Grave University. Sales Grave University is where small and scaling sales teams from across the globe come to learn how to sell. What makes us different is not only do we have over a thousand hours of on-demand content from some of the best minds in sales, but we also teach live instructor-led courses every single week that small teams can come to and they can learn the same way that larger teams learn as, you know, as they pay for like, you know, the huge amounts of, of money for training. What we've been able to do is provide enterprise-level sales training at a fraction of the cost. And we do this through something called the Team Hub. So go check out Sales Gravy University. If you're a leader, you can take your very first course for free by using the code FREECOurse. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com. Use the code free course. Take your very first course for free. Will Yarborough, all the way from Alabama, here on the Sales Gravy podcast. And I've heard through the grapevine that you're an Alabama fan. I just want to say go dogs. And uh and we'll just call it that.
1: That sounds good. Great to see you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on.
0: He didn't even flinch. He didn't flinch. So he's, he's got, he's still got that Alabama's number one in the sec thing going on. Um, I,
1: I don't know, man, you've been giving us a run for our money these last couple of years.
0: Well, you know, the, uh, we, we, we truly believe in Georgia, that Nick Saban is the devil. i you know, he's uh, he's the hero in Alabama, but, um, but it's a, uh, it is, it's, it's a rivalry rivalry that I think is probably going to heat up over the next few years. Uh, so you're, you're a sales leader working in um, a, a, an industry where you, you provide fleet management software to companies that are running over the road. I'm, I'm assuming they're running um, commercial fleets, they're running independent fleets, but you help them basically manage their fleets through your software. And as I understand it, you're selling primarily uh, via an inside sales organization. So these are folks who are selling on the phone. They're selling through video. They're trying to connect with people. And uh, I know your industry very well. So it's not only you're just trying to connect with people, you're trying to connect with people in a lot of cases that are moving. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about that, that process and how you get there. But first, let's start with giving the audience a little bit of your background. Like, how did you end up where you are now?
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, uh, for better or worse, I'm a career salesperson. And uh, I think I tell my team this as often as I can. I think sales is one of the best careers out there and specifically one to get into as early as you can. You have um, such an amazing opportunity to get exposure to things at an early age. I don't know of any other profession where a 22 year old fresh out of school can sit across the table from a CEO or a board member and try to pitch them an idea And then also you have, in order to sell well, you have to understand your business, but you also have to understand your customer's business extremely well. So having that sort of comprehensive knowledge and that exposure at such a young age is just so incredibly attractive to me and that's what led me to it. So I started out in SaaS. I've been in SaaS my entire career. Um, I had a short stint in customer support, which I'm grateful for because it gave me empathy um, for selling a good deal, selling a bad deal, setting proper expectations, and really founding a good customer relationship and partnership is so paramount. Um, but I always have the entrepreneur bug. Uh, I really like early stage companies. I really like the, the ground floor of things, trying to craft and architect a process and a strategy that's going to help a company grow. So really what led me to where I was today was quitting my job and trying to start something and then failing at that. And uh, myself, my former company and Fleetio, we were in the same incubator in downtown birmingham so i'd have coffee with the ceo we'd talk sales comp strategy and about the time that we exited that business he was looking for a sales leader to come in so the, the timing was serendipitous and uh, the rest is history as they say
0: i love it you know the the you think about uh birmingham and alabama and nashville and you start thinking about that triangle um start, some people are starting to call it the silicon south because there's uh, yeah. there's so much innovation there's so many cool companies that are coming in and it's a it's a great environment for business. So it it, it really you've uh, you find you find the coolest people in the world. I mean, the South is full of quirky people, but you find a lot of folks who really understand how it is and, and, and how to connect with other human beings. I, I don't know if that's your experience, but I certainly the companies that I work with and who call me from say Atlanta or from Birmingham or Nashville or Columbia, or, you know, really any of the cities that are in our, our area, I just always find that I have, I have much deeper conversations with them than, than talking to some, you know, some kid is calling me from San Francisco that you know graduated from MIT three weeks ago and has no idea how to talk to another person.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, and this is why I'm highly confident that robots are never going to take our job. Um, I see that say this as often as I can, and I sh- certainly didn't make this up. But people buy from people. You've got to have that human connection.
0: So you work in a, in a tough industry. I mean, fleet and fleet management. The people that you're selling to, uh, most of these people, at least in my in my experience, are the people that are in those jobs are in their 40s and 50s. They've been around for a while. You don't typically get responsibility for managing millions of dollars worth of assets until you've proven yourself. They're typically moving, like they're they're moving all around all the time. The people that they deal with are tough. It's a tough industry. You know, all you have to do is in your life, and I've been there. You know, sit on a back dock of a manufacturing plant and have conversations with teamsters who are driving trucks, and you're gonna earn your chops really quickly. So I, I want to start with, you know, you you're you're a SaaS company, software as a service. You're selling into a. a and into a demographic that is a, I call it a no bullshit demographic. Like you, they're just a, they're just these are people who are running fleets. They're trying to move things from place to place. They're they're just dialed in operators. So they're a tough group of people to sell to, and uh, and you're hiring people to come in and teach them this industry. And are you bringing people in from like the industry who understand trucking and understand fleets? Are you bringing in kids right out of school, and then teaching them the process of dealing with these type of type of people?
1: Yeah, so you know, for, for better or worse for us, we've, we've tried both of these strategies where um, we've we've dabbled in a few different approaches to the industry and what's going to work best for us, you know, first, just to, to comment on what you sort of alluded to earlier is that it is an interesting industry, primarily blue collar folks out in the field, they're more used to turning wrenches than, you know, punching buttons on an app. So oftentimes, they resist that change, they resist that technology, most notably because it's not directly tied to their mission. Their job is to use that vehicle to get to their customer and deliver value. So it's it's our responsibility to tie our system into that and say, we're going to help you do that better. And that's sort of the art of the approach. Um, but oftentimes, we are trying to sell technology to a non-tech savvy buyer that's has an edge, that's rough, really, really good at negotiating. So... Determining the right level of experience and the right persona to inject into our sales team has been a challenge for us and something that we've, we've dabbled in or experimented with a few different approaches. So we've done both of these things. One, we started with what we considered sort of a green bean approach, folks that had limited experience, fresh out of college, you know, no baggage or old dog, new tricks its kind of mindset. And we wanted to teach them the fleetio way so that they were fully subscribed to our process, our playbook, and and that worked well enough, but also had challenges. Because as you know, there's some situations and some tables that you sit down at where that that seeing the movie before really provides a tremendous amount of value. So then we've also tried hiring for industry experience, the other side of your question, where folks that have either worked for other fleet software companies or fleet services companies have spent, spent time actually working in a fleet so that they have credibility and they can kind of speak the language of of our prospects and our customers. And what I would tell you is that neither really worked super well. We had challenges and pros and cons with, with each approach. What we're really trying to explore now is how to marry those two strategies together where Fleetio sells Fleetio's way because every company is different. Every value proposition is different. And there of course are commonalities between how your company, your team will sell and my company and my team will sell. But at the end of the day, I've got to pitch Fledio in the best way that re- resonates and relates to the industry I'm selling it into. So what we found is that we need to have folks that, you know they have the, the core intangibles that make really, really great sellers, good communicators, curious, ask a bunch of questions. They know how to control a room and have confidence. Uh, while at the same time, how can we use our experience, our industry resources to give them enough talking points, give them enough exposure to be credible in the room. So it's one of those things, it's always a work in progress, but we've tried both of these. And what we've tried to do is re-merge them back together into a strategy that sort of appeals to both sides.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it is the, I think the the, the unending has always been there. I mean, back when I think back when I was head of sales, we were having the same conversation. Do we hire people with industry experience? Do we hire people who have no inexper- injury experience? Who's the right person? I always found that when I brought people in with industry experience, that if I didn't hire the like the absolute right person, those people actually took a lot longer to ramp up in my organization than if I brought people who didn't have very much industry experience in, but they had the, the right mindset, the right heart. Because I could teach them the, the the questions to ask. I could teach them the parts and pieces. The problem for that group is that it was harder for them to ramp up into larger deals. So if it was a smaller deal, they would be okay. But as soon as you started, like you start working on a fleet, you got 100 vehicles in a fleet that the 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 calculations change dramatically in terms of what the costs are going to be and the complexity and in those cases you're probably dealing with with C level people especially when there's financials involved in it you got CFOs that are involved and in if you don't know how to talk to people like that you got a problem so not only do you have a industry knowledge but you also have a business acumen problem so and there's right. and I don't know that you can accelerate business acumen for a 22-year-old. I think it takes some years to learn and I've done everything possible as a trainer to try to do that, but there's just some level of experience that you get over time where it starts to begin to click, you know, click for you. But what you can do is you can take those those individuals and you can teach them how to ask the right questions, how to surface challenges and problems. You can teach them, uh, you know, what's the, what's the place where for a fleet, there's the most opportunity for them to be able to get ROI from the software. So I don't know a lot about your industry, but I would ex- expect that if I'm running a fleet, if my mission is to move things from one place to the other, which means that wheels have to be turning, if wheels aren't turning, I got a problem. So the, 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 the easiest, fastest path to making sure that the wheels keep turning is that you're managing your PMs. And if you're managing your PMs properly, the probability that you have breakdowns or, you know, on the road or you have an issue goes down, uh, ex, you know, exponentially. Is that Would that be right?
1: Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. So, Getting ahead of that event.
0: Yeah. So I know that because I've been around for 40 years, and you know I worked for a company that you know ran fleets, and I uh, and I work in the industry and spend a lot of time with people. So I don't I don't know a lot about fleets, but I understand that if I was meeting with someone, I would probably be asking questions about walk me through your PM process, you know walk me through what happens when you lose a truck on a route. What's the domino effect of what happens in that situation? So I think with with you know with um, with people don't don't have a lot of industry experience if they understand how to deal with human beings and we can focus on getting them, teaching them how to ask the right questions. And then, and then we can be near them. Like as a leader, if they say, Hey, this is what I found out. Like you did good discovery. That, that to me is the point where you, if they're, if they're coachable and they're smart and they care and they're driven in the process of helping them close deals, they start learning how to close deals. And if you're starting off someone new, they, I mean, someone who has industry experience, they want everything to be perfect before they can close anything. And I don't know why that is, but that, at least that's been my experience over time and I'm making a broad generalization. Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think that's been somewhat of our experience as well. And I'm glad you said coachable. I think that's one of the most powerful and, and promising traits with a prospective candidate is that they take feedback and, It's no coincidence that the the top folks on the leaderboard are often seeking out feedback and and really pulling their leaders into tell me what I could do better, tell me what I could do better, tell me about this call. And I think, you know, one of the really important things is, is making that gets lost, especially in this world of data, in this world of systems, you know, every sales team these days has five or different systems in their tech stack to help support accelerating sales. And with that, you have more of a robust sort of playbook and guidance on how to sell and how to use those systems. And I think one of the the big flaws or big pitfalls in the modern sales world is that you can become too robotic and think I've got to follow this process. I'm gonna ask this discovery question and this discovery question and this discovery question. And you forget that you're just having a conversation with somebody and you put all of this undue pressure on yourself to follow the process and make sure that you get every box checked. Where at the end of the day, it's just Will and Jeb having a conversation. And so asking that question, like you said, what is the downstream impact of of missing a preventative maintenance activity? Just have a conversation and see what people think, you know, get them to sort of humanize that experience. And that's what I think you can really sell into versus, you know, asking what is clearly a textbook question that sounds robotic, that should be on a form or a survey. That's where I think we lose a lot of credibility because we forget the fact that we're just talking to somebody.
0: That's exactly right. It was I was working with a, a SaaS company that sells into um, an adjacent industry, but a very similar type of buyer. And they were trying to, it's a SaaS company, and they're trying to put in this, this like this system so that they can take someone who's brand new and they go, here are all the things that you have to check off. And they, they actually had it in a form. So that as the person was asking the question, they were typing into the form. And they were asking me what I thought about it. And so they went through it with me. I'm like, you're making my head hurt. Like, this is awful. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think about it. I'm on the other side of the table and I'm the buyer and you're sitting there going through this with me. There was nothing organic about this at all. So I said, I don't know anything about your business, but why don't we role play this? Just give me a, give me a situation. You play the buyer, do whatever you want to. I'm going to play me, the salesperson. And so I, they did this and I went through the whole process and I just started off with a, you know, with a couple of questions, you know, and I'm. I, they started talking and the more they talked and we're in a role play, right? This is, and this is stump jab, right? So asking questions, we go all through the process, build a value bridge at the end, ask for the next step. They say, yes. And then, and then I had a group of people watching. They're like, like, how did you do that? Like, what was that? And I said, I asked you the first question. I knew what I was going to ask for at the end. What I'm asking for at the end is a demo and I'm building a bridge to give you a reason to give me more time for the demo. If, I don't have enough reasons. I'm going to ask him for the demo. I'm going to ask for something else. But that's where I'm closing for. So I start at the end where I want to go. I start at the beginning. And in the middle, I'm just asking questions. You're on a video camera. I'm watching your head go up and down or move over here. And when I see a motion, I ask a question about it. So if I said, you know, I said, like, you know, like, walk me through, like, a day in the the life of one of your route drivers. And you go, blah, 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 blah. And I go okay, so like you're getting started at six o'clock in the morning. Let's just say that your driver hops in the truck, turns it on, doesn't crank. What happens next? Like, and they go, oh, you know, like then you know, you know, because like I and and this again for me, I remember when I was a district manager, I worked for a company called Aramark, you know. And driver got in the morning, the truck didn't crank. My phone was ringing at four o'clock in the morning, and I was getting out of bed, and I was gonna go, end up spending the day running a route out of a station wagon, like you know, so. Like, if you see that, you ask yeah. a question. And so what we're trying to do is over-engineer this process versus teach people how to have a conversation. Just listen. And I and that's what they were missing in this moment. And that, that was this, I think this, it, it's hard for me to understand where it comes from. It's this drive and this belief that as a leader that I need to over-engineer the selling process versus I need to, to hire people who can do this, and then I need to teach them. And I'm going to throw one more thing out there for you because I want you to to talk about this because two days ago I had a sales call for a SaaS product that is really expensive, and I'm a business owner. So we're in a recessionary period. We're not in a recession, but we are in a volatile period where there's lots of problems. And, uh, And I'm looking at the world through the lens of a CEO. And anything that costs more money right now, I'm being super cautious about. This there was something that caught my eye. The rep did a really good job of getting me on a call, which is really hard to do. But the, the kid got me on the call. We show up. I'm just gonna give you this scenario, okay? We show up. You see what I'm wearing right now? Like I'm you know, I'm dressed in a blazer, and all you gotta do is like get online. You'll see that I'm almost always in a blazer and in a, a collared shirt. I'm in this studio. I'm not I don't have this mic in front of me, but this is this is this is our blue studio. So we have five studios in I, and whenever I'm on camera, I'm in I'm in a place where I look at I wrote a book called Virtual Selling. I better by God act like I wrote, you know, like yeah. I wrote a book. And this kid gets on. That's a kid. I, he's 25, 26 years old. I'm 56, so kid to me. So he gets on and he's wearing a like a sweatshirt hoodie that's that's got some rags around it. Like it's been beat up a little bit. And he's He's got like this really awful behind him is like a closet and he's on his computer and I'm instantly turned off. Like I instantly look at that and go like seriously, you know, and you and it's me like you're I mean, you know, it's me. You wrote me a note. You got on because you know, it's me. And that's how you show up on a call with me. Seriously. So think about that. And and that probably wouldn't matter if you were on the call if there was some dude sitting in the you know in the uh, the maintenance shed for a fleet and he's like you know wearing overalls wouldn't care but it's me, and then same thing, whatever sales enablement platform they're using or whatever their CRM they're using they've he's typing the content the the the, the question and so he asked me the first question and I give him an answer he never hears me. And he doesn't hear me because, first of all, science has proven that if you're typing, you're not listening. You, mm-hmm. the, the brain doesn't connect. And he's going through the motions. And I'm going to tell you something. It pissed me off. Like, I, like I, like my, I, my temperature rose because I had just like, given him this explanation of why I wanted to talk to him and why this was important to me. And he couldn't even remember. And I could tell because he went, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he asked me the next question that was like and we're ta- talking about little money we're talking about big money big money software yeah. for a small business talk to me about that like and i'm like i'm i'm on a rampage right now with this this behavior <laughs> cuz i'm seeing it over and over again why why are reps doing that why how are leaders allowing that to happen who in the marketing organization fail to go look at the backgrounds, look at how their people are presenting themselves when they're on the phone with the people they're selling to. Like, I get that. If you show up that way and you're talking to some, you know, bro culture in you know Seattle, but you're talking about Jeb in Augusta, Georgia, you know, who all you have to do is just type in my name and you'll see pictures of me. I'm everywhere. So, like— What is like what's going on right now that's creating that issue? And I'll have a follow up question for you. So I I was a lot, Will. I I mean, I, I threw a bunch at you, but I want I want you to talk about it as a leader, like as you and your team and and what you're seeing, And why does this why does this even matter?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate this topic. I, I'm I'm fairly passionate about this as well. And, and I think just one thing off the bat is that one of the things that I've very clearly just got from you and that everybody has to remember is that buying is emotional. You know, whether it's professional or for your personal or professional life, there is an emotional response that you have to the buying experience. And there's plenty of research that suggests that, you know, buying is therapeutic as well, shopping therapy, like those sorts of things. So again, Really relates back to that human element of selling and why that's so important. The the, the two other things that I would say um, is to frame this up, and then I'll give you my perspective on why I think this is such a big problem these days. Is first and foremost, I think the 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 sales motion is I have to buy you before I buy the product that you're pitching, and that and in, in the modern world that starts with the website. So if your website is, you know, you think about the Apple store experience and then going to, an, I won't disparage any other retailer, but you go to another store and you have a very different experience, there are different emotional reactions and values that you would prescribe to the products that they sell. So if the website is disheveled and, you know, messy and clunky, there's dead links all over the place, you've already made up in your mind and devalued that product off the jump before you ever talk to a salesperson.
0: And by the way, then your you website the, your, the Fleetio website rocks. It's awesome. Thanks. It's a. Yeah. It's,
1: thank you. Thank you. It's a. It's a fantastic uh, asset for us. Our marketing team is incredible and always has been, and obviously that's a huge partner to us on the sales side. So I am grateful for that. Uh, appreciate the kind words. I'll pass that along. Um, but I think you know once you get handed off to the salesperson, I've got to buy Jeb or Jeb has to buy Will before I'm ever interested in trusting the product that you you represent. So. You know, if you don't have a, if you're sitting in a garage, if you're not, you know, dressed that mirrors the prospect or the prospect experience, then you just have to understand that that's a risk. So if I show up and I'm asking you for a, you know, seven figure contract and I'm wearing a t shirt and a backwards hat, you know, style is personal. So like more power to you. But at the end of the day, you have to understand that you're putting risk on that deal because I'm, an, I'm associating a value with your image and the product that you represent. So that same thing with lighting, the quality of the audio, the quality of the video, the, 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 the most important thing to me is that the little things matter. I'm going to throw a, a dart at you really quick. My, you know, my guy Saban really oversubscribes to the process. Bill Bill Belichick the same way. Kirby Smart's the same way. The little things matter. It's not the outcome, but the steps that you take to get to that outcome. So if you minimize the fact that, you know what, I'm not going to wear a collared shirt today. I'm going to put a hat on. I'm not going to shave. Who cares about the lighting? You know, I'm not going to take the time to put up a background or what have you. That's fine. But at the end of the day, those are risks and those are the little things that can make a difference in terms of the velocity of the sale, getting the sale or the trust that you generate.
0: And just, just to, to, to step into that for just a moment and, and let you keep going because you're on a good roll. Uh, but you know, if I, I go back to when I was in my mid twenties and I was a field sales rep, but if you were to look at my car and a company car and I was out calling on customers, I had four or five wardrobe changes inside my car and I would change my clothes, in a par- I mean, not my pants, but I would change my shirt or what I was wearing. I would have a tie on or I would have a polo shirt on like you've got on, because I would go into different places, and, and they all had different dress clothes in the way they dress. I wanted to dress just a little bit better than my client, but I didn't want to overdress. So Right. I'm walking into, you know, under the back dock, trying to get into a, you know, a manufacturing plant. I'm not walking in with a tie on, but if I'm walking in to see the CEO, I'm going to put a tie on because I want them to trust me. And I would, I would do wardrobe changes, you know, three, four times a day, just depending on who I was going to go have a conversation with, because I wanted them to feel comfortable with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I think um, it, so. One of the things that we do is uh, I may not have a change of clothes at my desk, but one of the things that we do and that Zoom or uh, Teams makes really, really easy is you can change your background. Mm-hmm. So, if we're talking to Aramark, as an example, we'll go pull up a Google image of an Aramark box truck and we'll put it up as the background image. So, it's, it, there's like little modern tips and tricks that you can do to personalize that experience. And again, pay attention to the little things. It's the same thing. You know, like I'm not trying to sell you anything today, but I went to your website i know that you've got a media kit i saw your headshots yeah i mean you wear you've got a jacket on so like i i should know i'm not wearing a fleetio you know branded t-shirt today which is my typical wardrobe very intentionally for that purpose so i think that just goes back to one of the legacy fundamentals of sales which is you've got to be prepared you've got to do research on who you're trying to sell to because again um what was the dale carnegie thing the sweetest sound that anybody can hear is the sound of their own name it's the same thing. You're gonna be drawn to me or endeared to me if you know I did research on you and I know more about you than I did before I walked in. So I think we just go into the last part of your question, like why are leaders allowing this? I just think we've gotten lazy and in, in, in the spirit of being lazy, probably the easiest thing for me to do is to blame COVID. You know, We all had to go home, people stopped wearing suits, everybody got used to doing things on video and there's a lot of positives in that. But at the end of the day, I think, we kind of lost touch with some of those, those fundamental things, those little things that really matter a whole lot more than people understand. And where we've over-engineered stuff is you know, validation rules in the CRM, the checklist that you've got to go through to sell somebody, um, you know, pre-automated approvals for discounts and negotiations and all those, those sorts of things. There is an art and a science to everything, but I think the pendulum has swung way too far on the, si- uh, the, the science side. We've just forgotten how to do the art of selling and having conversations.
0: Yeah, I agree as well. You know, by the way, I have a, there's a little rack over here. I have a change of clothes in every studio. So sometimes I'm on camera all day long because something's much just virtual and I'm changing clothes yeah. all day, mat- mirroring and matching my clients and who I'm going to be spending time with. Um, and yeah. I, and I know it's, you know, I love what you said. It's about the little things to me. It's always been about the little things. So you mentioned Dale Carnegie, Brian Tracy had this riff long, long, long time ago. So you go back 20, 25 years, Brian Tracy was doing the same thing that we do at Sales Gravy today, but he was, he would talk about uh, uh, horse races. And I, 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 I right now, as soon I as I say, I, I remember, because I remember I listened to this, I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. I must've listened to us there because I can always remember where I was, but he would, he was talking about racehorses and he would say, you know, if you think about a horse race, he said over time, statistically, most horse races are won by a nose. He said, but the difference is the horse that wins takes on a million dollars, and the horse that loses takes on $200,000. And by the way, same thing with golf, same thing with basketball, same thing with car races. Like, it's always by a little bit. And, and, and his point was is that if it's just a little bit, if it's a nose, what's the difference and the answer was, it's hard to know exactly what the difference is. It's hard to know what it was, but it could have been the color of your tie, which, by the way, yeah. back when I sold in Clemson, South Carolina, and I'm a I'm a diehard Georgia fan, when, <laughs> when before I crossed the city limit of Clemson, I had an orange tie on because yeah. I'm in Clemson, you know, and nobody wants to see a red and black tie in Clemson. That's just not the color that's there. So even little things like that. So you have to, if you go back in the sales process, you never know what it was. But in a situation, and you think about fleet software is a great example, and for Fleetio, for you to win, something else is going to lose. And that something else could be the status quo. We're going to do it on ourselves, so we're a self-op, right? That's sure. right. Or the status quo could be another fleet software that they adopted that's not keeping up with what they needed. So that software gets out. You're not going to have two software platforms doing exactly the same thing. So it's a it's you know, it's a competitive displacement fit sale, or it's a you know we're in a greenfield, we're getting married. we're getting in before anybody else gets there. So, in those situations, winning is the stakes are high if because if you win, you get all of it. If you lose, you get none of it. Pretty simple, right. What was the little thing along the way that made the difference? And you said this earlier, Brilliant, and everybody should pay attention to it. People are going to buy you, then they're going to buy the software. That's how it's going to work, especially in a competitive market like you're in. And it's a massively competitive market. So, that to me, like, is that's how I've run my entire sales career. Always focus on the little things, even like a font change in your deck that you're going to provide, the questions that you ask, how you set things up. Every little thing that you do has an impact. Sometimes those impacts are, are macro, and so at the conscious level, they go, like I said, I don't like this person because I feel like you're disrespecting me, you know, or sure. they can be micro. You don't know why, but there's just like, there's just something about this that's bothering me. And when that happens, they don't make a decision. They defer the decision. They're not sure, but you get a, def- a, a decision deferment objection. Hey, we're gonna, we're going to sit down with our team and talk a little bit about that. And I'm sure you've been around SaaS long enough to know that time is not on your side. Like if they're if they're putting off decisions, the clock is ticking. It gets you know your, your your probability of winning the deal goes down and down and down and down. So it is that 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 paying attention to the details. And I think I think you're right. I think we've gotten sloppy. I think that that in some situations there's this belief that our systems and processes will carry us so that we don't have to be good at the craft. Like, so we can we can systematize something and then you you can show up with your hat turned backward and not going to matter. I think some of it is, it's just societal. Like, you know, we've got this, the internet and Instagram and TikTok and we're, you know, we're out there trying to be influencers. It was an interesting stat there they go in Wall Street Journal that 27% of people between 17 and 25 think that the being an influencer is like the only career they could possibly have. Like, so, you know, think <laughs> about that. And I, and I think there, there's a, mis, a mistaken belief that that being authentic is really the key. And authenticity matters, like being a human being matters. But authenticity without respect for your audience is arrogance. And arrogance doesn't sell. Nobody wants to deal with an arrogant person. So I think we've got all of those things in, in play. And, and then I would add one more thing, and I want you to, to address this. I think that there are a lot of leaders who are walking on eggshells. So they they see the problem, they understand the problem, intuitively they know they need to fix the problem, but they're afraid to have a conversation about the problem because they're afraid of the conflict, they're afraid of what might happen, they're afraid of the repercussions, so they allow bad bad sales behaviors to last whereas you know I go back, you know, 30 years when I first started selling like the, the, at least the sales leaders that I were working for would just punch you in the face and go, "You need to quit doing that. That's not going to work anymore. Stop." You know, I used to have a leader, for example. I would be on the phone making my outbound calls, you know, to set my appointments, and and he would like literally bang on the wall. Like he could hear me through the wall. He would be banging on the wall. Don't <laughs> f and say that. Like he's, you, you know. But I, you know, you learned that way to deal with it. And I just you know i'm not sure that that and i and i can i don't want to like generalize leaders in particular but i'm just not sure that leaders have the same courage like to like to lead sales the way that it has been led for you know a century and that it is survival of the fittest like you have to close business you have to hit your mark you have to hit the numbers and you have to be good at the craft. You have to protect the brand in the process and be and be excellent at it. And that is a human endeavor that requires the Nick Sabans of the world to come on the field and kick you in the rear end when you're not doing it right, give you a high five when you're doing it right, give you a hug when you need to get picked up back because you got hit really hard, but they're not willing to to not be the leader. Is, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, I definitely relate with that because, you know, it's... Um, sales is a contact sport. And it's why so many sales leaders love former athletes, uh, because they know they're competitive, they know they're gritty, and they're aspirational, they're goal oriented. And you're right, you know, we've come a long way from, you know, rub dirt on it and get back in the game that that sort of mindset so where, uh, you know, there's some coddling going on. And, not to necessarily merge, you know, professional and personal life, but, you know, we give out third and fourth place trophies these days. And I I do think it sort of sets some particular folks with a a certain type of mindset up for failure when they get into the real world and think they can fail and then still get patted on the back. I, I think the general thing, I relate this to public speaking, where one of the biggest, you know, aha moments in my career was You know, everybody grows up and hears the thing that the majority of folks in America are more afraid of public speaking than they are dying. And I just remember thinking like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I am not going to be that way. And I remember just thinking to myself, okay, what am I experiencing when I'm in the audience and I'm hearing somebody talk? You're never rooting against that person because it's uncomfortable for you. So you sit there and you're like, I want this to be a good speech. I want this to be a good song. I want this to be a good podcast because nobody wants to have a bad experience and listen to a bad you know, public speaker or talk, you know, whatever it might be. I think the same thing with respect, with respect to tough conversations and coaching is that a lot of leaders avoid it because they think that the person on the other side doesn't want to hear it. But I would argue, and it's my belief, that the best talent, the best players in the game seek that out. We already touched on that earlier in the pod, where the best players want coaching. They want feedback. And again, as I promise this is the last time I'll, I'll quote Nick Saban on a podcast with you. But um, one of my favorite quotes from him is that you don't truly love or care about somebody if you don't hold them accountable. And so like I think when you think about your parents and the experience you have with you know, really good parents is that they're going to hold you accountable and they're going to get on to you. And it's because they love you and they want what's best for you. So I think if, you know, same thing, you sell as a human, you relate as a human to your buyer, you have to relate to your team in the same way. And it's like, listen, Jeb, this is gonna be a tough conversation today. I got to talk to you a little bit about what's going on. You did this. I need you to stop doing this. And that's why the reason I'm telling you this is because I care about you. And I think you're a lot better, you know, full stop. We don't have to baby it and pamper it. Those tough conversations are critical. And I think we avoid them.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And I I quote Nick Saban. I mean, do your job is like one of my favorite quotes, like just do your job. (laughs) So i I think yeah. uh, i think you're right on the money. Let's uh, let's shift into human to human. So in the pre show, you and I were talking about how we're in a world where there's a lot of systems and processes. There's a lot of robots that are enhancing what we do. And uh, and I've I say this all the time: people don't like to talk to robots. They hate robots. I know this to be true because we have a chat client. You can come to our website. You can chat with us. You're on Salesgrieve University. You got a question. The only person that's going to answer that chat is a human being. I refuse to have yeah. a robot answer chat. If if we're not available, you can leave us a message. But but people hate robots. Our number one question we get this almost every day: Am I talking to a robot? People like they want to know because they because they feel violated if they're not talking to another human being. And I was on another call the other day with a guy named Chris Bill. He runs a, a company called Connect and Sell, and he said that you know in the age of AI. We have moved into a world where the only, the only communication that is believable anymore is verbal human communication. It is the words that we say to ourselves because everything else now that robots can write, you know, articles and and scripts and wherever else, everything else is suspect. I mean, is it does that did that, did you write that or did a robot write that? So let's talk a little bit about uh, as a leader, what are you doing to help your, your team like learn and get and grow into this is not just a contact sport, but it's a human contact sport. And we have all kinds of different ways that we can connect with other human beings, but we're connecting with human beings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. I mean, uh, and I know you, you recently had a conversation about utilizing the phone and I think we encourage our team, we, we, we call ourselves a phone first sales team because so many folks um, rely on email uh, as the primary means of communication. There's a whole lot of value in you know, meet your buyer where they are and if they want to text or if they want to email then that should be your primary mode. But at the end of the day, the most efficient, also the least scalable, but the most efficient way to communicate is a phone call. That's the way I'm going to hear the tone in your voice. I'm going to get direct feedback from you on where I stand. And ultimately, I get to continue leading you down the buying path. Email is inefficient and it's hard. People are lazy and buyers want to be led. So how can I make it as easy as possible for you to give me information back to the point you made earlier to progress to that next step? phone is the best way to do that. And again, like you said, if you hear me talk, if you hear the tone in my voice, if we can connect and build rapport on whether it's the weather or Alabama or Georgia football, we know that we're having that human connection. We're making some chemistry out of, out of, uh, out of the conversation. So I think phone first is the easiest way to do that. But I think there's some other ways that, you know, we just, we build it into our playbook and our approach. Um, one thing, you know, going back to sort of the legacy way of selling, I really, you know, I don't know how this happened, but Used to, it was you know sort of the SOP. You go in for a job interview and you send a handwritten card as a follow-up to show your appreciation. I think the same thing is really important in buying because it's it's that that is going to differentiate you from the rest of the sellers out in the world because most of them are lazy too and they want to take the path of least resistance. So a handwritten card is a great way to shoot. And by the way, you can get a robot to write a handwritten card for you. These you days. can, but but you know perception is reality. So you can have the perception that you took time to write down a note, send it to somebody extremely personal. And again, it just perpetuates that human connection. I think the other thing that we coach folks on is that, you know, in terms, if you do have to use email, then make sure that you personalize. Two things that I don't think sellers do enough of is one, post demo, send the follow-up email and summarize the conversation. This is what we talked about. These are the values that I think I can share with you and that you, that resonated with you. This is how I think we can help. You know, do you agree? You know, whatever, I'm being you know, simplistic and reductive in how I'm describing it, but send a personalized follow-up email that you know captures the conversation. That only will help you progress the conversation forward. And then similarly, let's just say on a generic email, I hate the check-in email. And it's something that so many sellers do. Hey, Jeff, just checking in, wanted to see if you had a chance to talk to your boss about the budget. Can we move forward together? Super lazy, super self-serving. You get absolutely no value out of that communication. I could do the same thing. Every seller needs to do that and check in, but I could take five minutes, five seconds really, and Google you and determine, do you wear jackets? You know, kind of relating back to what we talked about earlier, but say, you know, hey, Jeb, just checking in with you. I know you're supposed to talk to your boss today about budget, wanted to see if it got approved. By the way, I ran across this article this morning, made me think of you. I thought you might be interested in reading it. It's my opinion that you're going to have a completely different feeling after reading those two different emails. And it's a very simplistic thing that I don't think most sellers do to help, again, sort of um, further that human connection that we would have on a phone call as an example.
0: Yeah, you know, one, one of the things my son does, uh, he's a tremendous uh, t- tremendous sales professional, but like after a demo or after a meeting, he does a video and just summarizes those points. Love so it. he'll he'll write it in, a, in an email and he'll send the video over as well. And it it just works. like people people love it, and they just like the fact that they're talking to a person who is having a real conversation with them. And the handwritten note is a is a big deal too. I, I think that you're exactly right. There's all kinds of cool ways that robots will write handwritten notes for you. I've got, Uh, A couple of people who will take take a snapshot from like from Instagram or on Facebook and they'll take a picture that I've posted and send it to me in a card. And I I love them. And we they're hanging on our refrigerators. What what I have uh, like this year has been my like get back to handwritten notes because I kind of got away from it uh, and I shouldn't have because I used to, for example, when I would be in the field, I would make calls all day long. And I would have a stack of, of notes on my in my front seat of my car, and I think if you're making calls at your desk, the I mean, same thing. I had a stack of them, and they were already stamped. So as soon as I walked out of your office, let's say I came to Birmingham and went, walked into Fleetio, and you and I had a conversation about sales gravy. When I walked out, I would write the handwritten note in my car, and I would find the nearest you know mailbox or post office, and I would drop it in the in the in the uh, in the mail. And I did that consistently. And by the way, I outsold everybody. Like I mean, th- those were those little things you're yeah. talking about. So this year, I've just, I don't know, the pandemic kind of, you know, screws with everything. But this year, absolute commitment to as soon as I've had, a you know, an engagement with a client. And so I'm in a little bit different position these days because I'm out delivering training or delivering a keynote. I come in. There's a stack of cards. They're already there. We got addresses on them. They're all handwritten. And I just handwrite a note and say thank you. Just basic. I mean, there's nothing – there's nothing – super crazy about it but it's the right thing to do but you do kind of have to have a system to help you be more human and i think that i think that the if i look back at my own failing over the last couple of years with handwritten notes it's been i didn't have the system like the system is when i have this engagement then i write the note and you think there's not a single person on your team that would ever do any harm by as after they've had an initial conversation with someone send them a note and tell them thank you like nothing
1: what's the downside? I know there's, what's the downside? Like there's none, but, but I love what you said there. And and we talk, there's a great book out there called the checklist manifesto. And, um, we talk a lot about this as a team. And I think this is, this is where the intersection of scalability and science can work well with art and just, you know, the, the, the gift of being a good salesperson and being able to connect with people is the checklist manifesto sort of the, the, the mantra there is that Pilots, brain surgeons, they all use checklists to remember things or do things the right way. And it's not because they're stupid. It's because there's a bunch of stuff that they have to remember to do. And there's a lot of things out there that can slip through the cracks. So I love the system which, you know, make it as easy as possible for you to systematize writing a handwritten note. And guess what? You're more likely to do it because it's easier and you won't forget because there's so many things that you're trying to remember. So I think that checklist approach and using a system to sort of perpetuate the things that you know are going to be important to you and your customer is a great way to sort of intersect those two si- uh, sides of the, the coin, if you will.
0: So if we really dial this in, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm, I'm, uh, I am I'm was giving Will a hard time earlier for the audience because it's almost impossible to get on my podcast. Mary Lester, who's our director of operations, said earlier, we were sitting there talking, and um, and she goes, you know how many people like call us to get on this podcast? She goes, it's every day. It's hundreds of people that are calling. And, uh, and, and and she said, we have to tell almost everybody no, because there's just, you know, only so much time in your day. So we know Will's good at sales because he's here. I'm so glad <laughs> that you're here because this was a delightful conversation. And if we think about it, though, what we've basically go back to that, that Brian Tracy analogy with the horse race, it's that there are lots of little pieces that go into winning the sale. And the salesperson that's going to win is a salesperson who is more perfect Who's willing to like you said, most salespeople are lazy. So it's a salesperson who's willing to be disciplined all the way through and do all the little things right, that gives them the highest probability of of gaining their desired outcome. Would that be would that be true? I mean, we've
1: I, I would absolutely agree. Um and I love the Brian Tracy analogy and that you're going to win by a nose. Like you said earlier, sales is binary. You know, I'm not going to get 50% of the, the revenue if I come in second place. So it's, it's, it's really important that you think about those little things and take every advantage that's available to you because again, human tendency is going to suggest that most people are going to try to skip a step and take the shortcut. And if you invest the time and the effort to go the extra mile, it's my belief that you're, you're more likely to come out on top. Now, I will admit, I'm sitting here reflecting as we're talking about this conversation that I think one of the most important takeaways for me as a leader that I, I want to go back out to my team and hold myself accountable to is I do think it's incumbent upon good leaders to remind their teams of these things as often as possible. And I think one of the things that we can all be guilty of is, you know, hey, go through the onboarding process. These are the things that we think are really, really important and we never touch it again. So I think it's really important that we remind folks and educate folks on the value of these things otherwise you know they're likely to regress to the mean and do the stuff that's that's going to be the easiest or the path of least resistance but I think yes. you summarized it
0: well Well we we talked about Kirby Smart and we talked about Nick Saban and Kirby is a disciple of Nick Saban I mean he's a he's a product of Nick Saban and we could you could arguably say that these are two of the most successful college football coaches of all time Uh, And there's you know, there's 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 a handful like there's 10 coaches in all of college football that you could put in the same league. But they understand that when they're dealing with elite athletes, that they've got to drill and drill and drill and drill. Like you go watch practice. They're practicing the basics and fundamentals. They're practicing the hard things and creating that muscle memory so that when they're in the game, it all clicks and I think yeah. that, I think that you're, what you just said is super important. I'm glad that you said that the bookmark, this is as leaders, we have to do the same thing. We have to train and drill and reinforce, and we have to do that over and over and over and over again, because everything that we're teaching, I mean, think about me. I just, you know, I just told you, I got away from sending thank you notes. I've been doing this my entire life, but all you got to do is have one year or one thing that changes your habit. I mean, last night I'm practicing my golf swing and, I'm like hitting, like every drive I'm hitting is straight down the fairway. Everything is amazing. I have one bad slice and then I forgot everything. Like now I'm back to square one. And it's crazy how that happens with us as human beings. So as coaches, we got to recognize that you get one bad call or, you know, or you get one easy win that you didn't have to do all the fundamentals for. It could change everything. We got to be on top of that. And we've got to be drilling the basics and fundamentals every single day. Love that,
1: yeah. You're right. That uh, good or bad, one thing can completely change the trajectory of how you operate. Uh, that's a really good reminder.
0: Okay, so you're in Birmingham, Alabama, right in the heart of the Silicon South, running this really cool SaaS company that uh, that works with organizations big and small all over the the place that are running fleets, and and it's a it's a it's a cool industry to be in. I mean, we think about fleets, you think you might you could think boring, but you but if you like wake up in the morning and you are you are using any product anywhere, that was because of a fleet. Like somebody brought you something. So I'm sure that you're probably looking because you're scaling and growing, you're looking for great people who might want a job working for someone like you. Cause I would come work for you because you're freaking awesome, right? So you're looking for people who want to come work for Fleetio. Um, Talk to us a little bit about about what 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 career opportunities you have and why someone should even think about coming to work for your organization. By the way, Birmingham, Alabama, there are very worst places to be in the United States. A great place. Low cost of living. Awesome people. Great, uh, great climate. So if I'm going to go someplace, Birmingham would be on my list. And uh, but why should someone come work for you? And then if someone really is interested in a career, uh, what should they do to get in touch to 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 talk about um, the potential of coming to be a part of Leadio?
1: Yeah, yeah, thanks, Jeff. So I, I'd say uh, just one other pitch on Birmingham: great food and great craft beer scene. If you're into that kind of thing, so uh, we've got a lot of things, a lot of good things going on down here. Um, you know, with fledia what we really try to do is um, give people the opportunity to stretch themselves and put themselves in a position where they're going to be challenged and learn something new every day. We're in an incredibly diverse industry. You can wake up in the morning, come in and, uh, and, and get on the sales floor and talk to somebody in the landscaping industry in New Jersey, and then go to bed at night talking to somebody that's in logistics in Australia. So there's so many, like you said, everything in our world touches the supply chain in one way or the other. And and fortunately for us, we get to be injected into those conversations and processes pretty often. So there's never a dull moment. There's always some variety in, in the day to day. Uh, and what I would tell you about our team is, and one of the things that I think is a, a key differentiator for us, and I think culture is overplayed, but the, the environment that we try to build here is that we're inc- incredibly collaborative and supportive. Uh, we work together. And I believe that um, you know, what I like to tell my team when they start here is that I think the best sellers in the world are the ones that want to be number one on the leaderboard, but they want everyone else around them to be a very, very close second. So we have to be competitive. We have to want to win. But at the end of the day, we all have to row in the same direction in order for the company and the team to be successful. So we're, we're very much a, a supportive environment, but we try to reward our, our best sellers and the folks that really put the, the, the company in a position of strength. Uh, Right now, we have a variety of positions open. We're looking for enterprise sellers. We're looking for account managers. Um, We're looking for sales development reps that are earlier in the career or just love going hunting. Um, And then we're looking for closers in our SMB and mid-market segments as well. So we're pretty much open for business across the board. Lots of opportunity. We are growing super fast. So uh, whatever you come in at, uh, if you prove yourself, you're going to have the opportunity to do more. And I think that's something that's really exciting about where we are as a company.
0: And so if people want to learn more about your careers, they go to? Fleetio.com slash careers, or you can look us up
1: on LinkedIn. Feel free to drop me a direct message if, uh, if you'd like to talk more.
0: Perfect. Fleetio.com forward slash careers. I might be getting myself a new job. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, you are, Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an amazing conversation. Uh, you're awesome. I, I, I truly enjoyed this. This is awesome. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Sales Gravy Podcast. If you work for a small or a scaling sales team, go tell your boss about Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is just a different type of digital learning platform. We make uh, enterprise level training accessible to everyone and we do it at a fraction of the cost. You can learn more at learn.salesgravy.com, learn.salesgravy.com. And if you've never taken a course on sales gravy, you can take your very first course for free by using the code free course. I'll see you next time on the sales gravy podcast.